listening to the Ed Reach Network. Ed Gamer, episode 101 on Ed Reach, the return of genius. This is Ed Gamer for Saturday, May 25th, 2013. Ed Gamer's part of the Ed Reach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. A big voice. Very nice. This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We will give you the education angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We will discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And I'm Jerry. And I'm Jim. And Jim, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is James G, and I am a professor at Arizona State University, and I am a linguist by training, and I work on digital uh, games and learning. Jerry? That's a hard act to follow. My name Pretty is much. Jerry James, and I'm a visual arts teacher from Chambry, Illinois. And my name is Zach Gilbert, and I'm your host. I'm a sixth-grade social studies language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. And, Jim, if you can just bear with us, we kind of do a little, uh, you know, catch up from the week before because, you know, Fine. the life of a high school and middle school teacher is quite entertaining to <laughs> our audience. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Jerry, what's been going on? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's that time of the year. It's May. Everyone wants out. It's hot up here. Heat's through well, what we consider hot. It's 90, 80, almost 90 degrees today. And uh, kids are going not used crazy. To it yet. No, kids are going crazy. They want out of here, and and uh, all kinds of testing is happening because there's AP, AP testing is is in full full swing, and uh, everybody's just kind of trying to survive the end together. Yeah. How many? When's your last day? Uh, June seventh. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> when are you out? Yeah. Tomorrow. Uh, I'm out. The yeah tomorrow. Yeah. No, the twenty eighth. Uh, the, oh. the day after. Memorial Day, my wife is out on the 24th. Is that right? Oh, is that the. That's like a week Friday? from Friday. Yeah. Boy, yeah, she's it. out the 24th. And then, uh, are you done with Game Club this year? Yeah, yeah, we put a, we put a bow on that one for the year. But, yeah. Okay. I have my last one on Friday. And, Jim, just to let you know, we've. Uh, Jerry started a game club at his high school doing magic and other, you know, Great. card games, board games. Good. And then. He finally got me into it, and my, I had, I've been averaging about 30 kids wow. uh, every other week, and we're playing board games. Have a wonderful parent uh, that has a huge collection of games and brings new ones in each week and teaches the kids. And we have some kids playing Minecraft, we have some kids playing Civilization, we have some kids, uh, you know, just having fun with these new and different board games, and it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, the kids are kind of sad that this will be the last one. But um, a few weeks ago, we had, well, on May the 4th, because, you know, Star Wars Day, May the 4th be with you, we had a nice turnout for a family tabletop game day, okay. and which was great. And next fall, I think we're going to try to do one, Jerry, next fall. And if it goes well, we'll do uh, one in the winter, and then we'll do another one in the spring. Nice. We should do a so. collaborative Minecraft between our two clubs. Yes. That would be very good. You know what we need to do is that the guests from last week... Uh, Maria uh, Chipolone. She, uh, Jim, she's at Temple University. She's a PhD student and uh, in media, and she's looking at uh, learning from Minecraft. Oh, good. And seeing the you know uh, intrinsic 
you know, love of, of learning and seeing how that lasts within a school rather than outside of school and such. So she has, they actually have servers set up at Temple and she's going to give us access to that. And I think, uh, I think Jerry, we might need to talk to her and just maybe just hook up through that. Be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. So enough of that stuff. Enough of that stuff. So, Jim, uh, you have a new book. I do. New book out, and what is it, and what is it about? Uh, it's called The Anti-Education Era, and that's um, not the title I chose for it. Uh, it was originally <laughs> called On Human Stupidity. But <laughs> oh, that's – I was wondering because you, that you brought that up yeah, before. Yeah, but, the, you know, the, the publisher found that downbeat. Uh, and most of the book was about the fact that we're, our stupidity has gotten so extreme that we're going to put ourselves out of business in the next 14 to 20 minutes. So they found that as too downbeat. Um, so, uh, but the book is, it is really, you know, it's an interesting thing. Chomsky, who was a you know, famous linguist, argued there were two deep types of intellectual problems. One was what he called Plato's problem. And this is, there are areas where humans seem to be smarter than they should be. Uh, learning language is one example, right? <laughs> you know, you're a little kid, you, you don't know anything, and you master this, you know, language, which is infinite in its structures. Um, but there are areas that he, uh, where people seem to uh, be very bad at learning and very stupid, even when they have plenty of evidence. And he called that Orwell's problem. Uh, areas where we seem to be stupider than we should be. Now, anybody who has been paying attention to our political life and our social life can clearly see that Orwell's problem is killing us. Uh, we have unbelievable evidence for global warming. The, the only mistake the scientists made is every prediction they made is coming true faster. Yes. Um, and yet uh, we have a society and even a media that at worst thinks it's 50-50. You know, about half the scientists think it's true. When in fact, of the, something like 37,000 articles uh, on global warming in the scientific literature, only 14 have opposed it. Right. So um, what do you make of a society that uh, where evidence is completely irrelevant, right? Um yeah, uh, I think John Stewart makes a living on this. Yes, he, do, he yeah. does indeed. I mean, he he does indeed. It's a lot of the humor, uh, you know, uh, and we can find it humorous. But you know, if you're watching John Stewart, you notice how often you kind of have an underlying anger when he exposes the hypocrisy. Yes, uh, it, there's something about us realizing that. Um, we're facing very dire problems with global warming, global economics, civilizational conflicts, environmental degradation, um, you know, toxic waste everywhere, uh, with the prediction of huge migration flows as droughts happen over the world, and we've got our head in the sand. And not only that, we're allowing wealthy people who make a profit on this disaster by selling us oil and toxic chemicals to control our politics and to keep doing this. And if you think about it, I mean, we could, their motives are fully understandable. They're just greedy, right? They're greedy <laughs> people. The motive of us citizens letting them do it, letting them essentially kill us and our children and take our futures away so they can get more money, uh, that's the people that's very hard to understand, right? I mean, um, yes. giving your money to somebody for killing you just seems really stupid. It's a, it's, I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It, it seems, it, it seems, is it cyclical? Does does it seem to? And, and I've, I've, I'm a person of of history. I've studied history and I look at historiography, and I know that 
the, the study of history and how we look at it. It changes over time. You know, we make yep. things look better mm -hmm. and then we make things look worse. And then it kind of goes in cycles. Do you know, we have unionization during the industrial time and now we're moving away from it. Away and from it, yeah. but you can see that in China the, and, and other emerging ec economies that unionization is growing and right. freedoms are growing. So are these things that you're talking about, is this cyclical? Is it is no, it getting no, worse and then we're going to get better? I think that history is roughly cyclical in terms of progress. It goes back and forward, but surely we've made progress. We don't have serfs anymore. Uh, we have made intermittent progress, certainly on the, how workers are treated, although we're going backwards. But here we're talking about problems that are unprecedented. Uh, you know, we're talking about global warming. Recently, the uh, amount of carbon in the air passed uh, a figure that it hasn't been for millions of years. When is no human being ever saw the Arctic with you know the ice caps with no with uh, no ice with water? Uh, we're talking about things that have never happened in history before uh, while there were humans. Well, so the massive humans, yes. die off of species that we're seeing and going to see that has happened before, but it didn't happen because of humans. So on top of the cyclical uh, uh, nature of history, uh, about which there can be some optimism. There, there, the pessimism is that the progress we're making could be wiped out if we don't start to pay attention to our problems. So we might figure it out too late. Well, you know, this is a very interesting thing. If you look at the literature on this, uh, the uh, predictions about uh, economic collapse, global warming, uh, and a, a lot of our problems are, are very dire. But at the same token, if you look at the modern literature on technology, especially in areas like resilience, we are developing mind-blowing technologies, including a technology that's very close to serviceable where you can take water out of the air. They've even done this in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we could get rid of biofuel and use fungus that just grows in the deserts. I mean, there's a whole bunch of technologies that are just totally mind-blowing. The, uh, Didn't we see this in Star Wars, though? Yes, and, and this stuff is, is, is there. <laughs> uh, you know, there's three different ways to print houses uh, with an extractor and printers, just like – and the three – the each of these ways of printing a house, the only cheaper thing would be to build a tent. Uh, <laughs> we could give housing to everybody. All right, so here's the interesting issue. We have the technology, uh, or we could get it, to solve some of these problems, but we've waited on the problem so long it may be too late. What we're going to see is a very interesting race between paying the price for problems we've let fester and trying to get these solutions up and running relatively fast. Now, we, if we had been dealing with these problems back in, in the middle of the 20th century, we wouldn't be here. But that's, that's where we are now. We are on kind of a... If it was a Star Wars movie, we're on emergency mode here. The alarms are going off, and we've got to start to do something. And so the yeah, the moisture farming, you know, on right. on Tatooine with you know Luke Skywalker. So I'm yeah getting geeky here, but you know that's they were <laughs> that's trying the, to get water. Yeah, uh, and, and then the 3D this, printing. Mm -hmm. The 3D printing, I mean, we're seeing, of course, we see articles about people making guns with it, but we're also seeing, you know, medical miracles Absolutely. Uh, with the creation of, of things that we would need to survive. Yeah, you can print, uh, uh, you know, human skin now. Uh, recently, somebody printed a kidney, a small one that worked for five hours. It, they will be able to print organs. Actually, there's other technologies to do organs now, too, that you don't even need the printer uh, for it. Uh, but we might not have a planet to be on to use right. it. That's right. Yeah, and 
there's a very interesting body of literature that called resilience, which is really it's a, a multidisciplinary body of uh, uh, literature that argues that the traditional goal of sustainability is it's too late for sustainability. We cannot sustain our environments and institutions and even families if we mean by that keeping the core properties we value we're going to have to move to what they call resilience which is being able to adapt quickly to change and change with change uh, there's a book by the guy who wrote the book on black swans uh, about on uh, called anti-fragile and he goes even further in saying we're going to have to build systems that not only change would change but change positively would change that actually use the change to make themselves better and there's a whole bunch of theories about this it's very relevant to anybody interested in education because if we're going to face a future that is highly unpredictable where all we know is there will be transformational change and very serious problems we've got to start producing not only smarter people but resilient people people who so that's with that. so that that's where we kind of get to the second part creating smarter students through digital learning that's right so yeah. and it's not just in in I'm, I'm just taking a wild guess here that creating robots creating common core standard kids where they can just regurgitate information is not going to be the best method to change with the times. No. You know, if I could have used a, a longer subtitle, it would have been creating, using digital media to create smarter students rather than stupider ones. <laughs> the thing that uh, the book is largely about is that digital media, and it does lay out why we're dumb and why, how we could stop that, but digital media has the capacity to make us either extra stupid or extra smart. So it becomes very important that we don't just uh, romanticize digital media, uh, but that we really ask, when is it making people smarter and when isn't it? As we know that the internet and social media can put people into silos uh, where they don't communicate with each other, where they just re-entrench their own opinions, uh, have their own niches. Um, we, uh, you know, so we need to think very seriously, whether it's video games or other technologies, when are they making us smart and when are they making us stupid and not, uh, you know, so I agree with you that most of the things I see coming down the pike in, uh, digital media games and social media for schools is, uh, a brighter, shinier form of stupidity. <laughs> So I have I have some teachers. You give them, you say the you give them the idea that having a test that can be Googled, right, where they can simply find an answer by getting on their phone quickly, is not a deep enough question and should not be asked. Right. When but being able to take that information and apply it and use it, that's a whole nother level. Right, we're, we're living in the age of the maker movement, right? The fab movement, the maker movement, where it is uh, easier than it's ever been in history for people to make and not just consume, to produce and not just consume. Um, and, and they don't have to have a credential or a degree to do it. We know that there are kids and adults uh, getting on the internet, getting in what I've called affinity spaces and becoming absolute experts in media, technology, news, um, uh, anything you want to do. They're designing and they're making. While in school, we're still just consuming trivial products. In fact, you know, uh, the obesity epidemic is probably mostly caused by processed food, right? We, ha we have uh, turned over cooking 
to industries that don't cook. They just process. And schools are the same thing. It, it, they're far from being consumers. of. They're not even consuming good stuff, let alone not producing. What they do is consuming the equivalent of processed food. Uh, stuff that makes them comfortable, that it's easy to sort people in. But when you're facing a world with major problems, uh, we can't have a population who can write down answers to questions that are irrelevant while they need a snorkel to get out of floods in one area. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, they have to learn how to live on no water in another one. So, yeah, I mean, we're our, we're our school. You see, let me talk about a deep paradox that I think comes to the heart of this. There has been this amazing rhetoric that both parties, Democrats and Republicans, and places like the Gates Foundation have gone and said, look, the purpose of schooling from K to college is to get to allow people to get good jobs. And we say more people should go to college, everybody be college, because it'll equip them mm -hmm. to get a good job. And in fact, there's even a panel, a blue ribbon panel in Texas that said, you know, we should charge extra money in college for anybody who takes a course in the arts or humanities because it's so irrelevant to getting a job. Oh, boy. Uh, well, think about it. You know, most of the jobs in America suck. The three-fifths of them are service jobs. The biggest employer is Walmart, who doesn't pay anything. And we have mm -hmm. a, obliterated unions and fair wages. Um, we have more productive workers than ever making less than they ever have. So how what, don't you think there's a paradox saying the entire school system should be about pro producing most people to go work at Walmart with a college degree? And spend $100,000 getting that degree. Yeah. I mean, see, it's well, you know, they want to cheapen the degree somewhat, but like, you know, with a MOOCA or with e-learning. But the point is, what teacher, I mean, you guys are teachers. Do you want to see your life work as training uh, abused workers and Walmart employees and people who will uh, have no uh, retirement? Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very frustrating. It's frustrating to see that there are some students that are really not meant for whether it's high school or college but I tell you what, they have amazing skills. I have a particular student right now, mm -hmm. Jerry, you would love. He's an amazing artist. He can draw. He's right. technically savvy. He is an awesome, he plays guitar. Right. He's an amazing guitarist. But he doesn't fit in the typical mold of yeah. what a school is. He doesn't, except, but I, you know, if he's an artist and he went into graphic arts, you know, it's harder to get an MFA in graphic arts today than to get an MBA. It, it, there, that is such a high-demand field. And yes. here you are about to push him out of the credentialing agencies that could get him there. I, I don't think that, you know, that that kid like that is not fit for high school or college. Uh, I think high schools and college are not fit for the society. And, <laughs> okay. it would, you know, uh, some, yeah. you know, some oh, of our man, schools are cool. right on the border of being prisons. And so you're telling me a kid's not fit for prison. I'm worrying about the ones that are fit for it. Right. He needs huh. so uh, a, a college or university needs to fit the way he needs to learn in order to produce well and i don't even know if we want to create because he, he is an artist right. and he's going to create some awesome things right. and a business out there could utilize that down the road and he would enjoy doing that right but see look here's a major problem now with big data right all of our technology allows us to collect infinitely more data uh and uh, and and we all think that makes the world better but in fact as uh Nate Silverman pointed out in his book, the more information you get, often the more noise you get and the less signal. It makes it even harder to find right patterns. So the real key in a world that has got copious information is how to represent that information. 
had to represent it in ways that allows us to use it, whether it's in science or to solve social problems or to make discoveries. So this idea of representation, what he wants, you know, graphic arts and science and big data all share that the image is more important than ever across our society. So it, it, it should be possible to take a kid with an interest in images and imaging and representation and get him working with other kids, seeing that this is important not just to games or art, but across the society, right? How do we, how do, how do we make representations that not only represent information fairly, but get the public to want to work on it, get them to want to act? How do we make that a compelling story? Isn't that what art was always supposed to do, to make you see some aspect of reality that made it compelling to you to see it in a new way? So, big question, how do we do that? How do we move towards that? How do I help well, I become, this kid? Uh, so one thing that the book says is, is that uh, we have spent a lot of time thinking that the way to solve these problems is school reform. Uh, and uh, and what I, dawns on me is societies get the schools they want. And we've got to stop talking about school reform apart from society reform. Uh, we could give every, you know, when we were talking earlier about how expensive college is, and I mentioned, I, you know, somebody asked me recently, well, how could the society, you know, really fund everybody to go to college? Well, as a baby boomer, I went to college completely free. I went to graduate school free. The society had a will to do it, and they did it. And there was no complaints. So we're really talking here about a, an issue of will in society. We have the highest level of inequality we've had in our history. Uh, we have lower social mobility than most of the European countries. Think about that. America, the home of social mobility. Everyone can make it in America. We rank low by the old European countries in this now. So uh, we would have to have the social will to, to do two things. Quit lionizing greed. That is, quit letting rich people kill us and our our environment and our uh, uh, children, um, and have a deep uh, desire to have more equality. Because the literature in in this is a completely robust result. Societies with more equality doesn't mean everybody's the same, but with more equality, have better health and a much more productive growing economy. Right. So it is suicidal to have levels of inequality like we had. Now, that's an issue about values and it's an issue about society. It, even though getting people to honor evidence seems like a trivial or um, boring thing to do, nobody is going to really make these changes if we don't get a society that honors evidence. Evidence like the fact that this level of inequality is bad for society and bad for the health of everybody in it, which raises health costs, which are already gargantuan. So uh, the book is, is a weird, it's weird in saying, look, we've come to the point where saying that somebody ought to realize that if you ignore evidence, the world bites back, right? Put your hand in a fire, you won't have a hand. Imagine 21st century, we have to tell people that. We, we've come to a, a, a very interesting point. Caution, hot. Yes. Yeah, don't put your hand. You might, at least don't do it twice. Don't tell yourself yeah. after you burned it, it was, yeah. uh, didn't work. Don't put the coffee cup between your legs and squeeze. Yeah, right. yeah those are hey, all Jim. very... But we, you know, we could have signs and everything. But, but so, you know, see, so what I would want is school reformers and people into video games, games to, uh, video games and learning impact to see that we have to put learning and education in the larger social picture of the society we want. 
uh, and that we have to begin to see the goal of schooling is not employment. It's it is producing smart people, smart citizens who can change the value system of their society and allow our technological prowess to overcome our problems before those problems have killed us. Well, <laughs> I, I'm just trying to figure out how that's going to happen. Well, well I've, I've got a question for you. The theme of the book is, you know, people say to me, I've gone around talking about the book and um, and they've said, well, geez, you sound pessimistic and, uh, and you know, isn't there a happy solution here? The whole point of the book is all the, all the time we could have been optimistic and happy has passed. We had every opportunity to solve these problems. Look at fracking. The evidence that fracking is gargantuanly bad is massive. It causes earthquakes. It loads the environment with toxic chemicals. We have in Pennsylvania people who are already deeply sick with it. It's killing the uh, stuff in the water. And yet we have a government and industry that tells us it's safe. And by the way, it's illegal by law. For, if I knew the chemicals in it and I told you tonight, I would go to jail. Because <laughs> they don't want you to know what chemicals yeah. are in it. Only doctors can know to treat the sick people. All right? So... The book saying, look, the, at this point, we have to own up that we're in a serious problem. It doesn't mean we can't do something. I, I look at it like this way. If you've played poorly for four quarters in a game and you're three touchdowns behind, it won't do any good to pretend the game is tied. You have to right. call different plays now. Right. So there yeah, are I, I just see a lot. I just see a lot of big names, mm -hmm. big money yeah. that are pushing the idea that, yes, we are we're trying to create a better workforce. And I'm just, that, that I just see a big you know, mountain of They're trying push to create a cheaper workforce. Uh, you know, when the people say, well, you know, there's <laughs> some blue, uh, the, the Facebook guy and Gates say, well, you know, every kid should be trained in programming. Now, think about it. If we trained every kid in programming when half of India can program already, it would just drive <laughs> the price down, wouldn't it? I mean, it, it would be uh, – you're telling me that if, if most of the kids in the country could program and most of the world could program, this would be a good job? Yeah. Yes, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. I I was gonna sneak in, and that's actually right along with what I was gonna what I was gonna mm -hmm. ask you is we we so often get caught up in the in these useless you know um, wars not wars but like uh, races between countries and educational systems comparing sure. ours to others. Do you right. see anybody doing it right? Do you see any cultures doing it right around the world right now? Well, that's a very interesting question because, you know, thanks to the PISA tests and the international tests, we have completely lionized Finland because they tend to win all these tests, right? <laughs> uh, science and uh, reading. And the head of the Finnish educational system came over here and said, you know, we don't have any special curriculum. The only two things we do is instead of having punitive accountability for our teachers, we give them responsibility and we have much higher levels of equality in our society. That's right. all we do. And, now, and they, the respect for teachers, too. Yeah, that's what he means. Responsibility rather than accountability means the teacher right. does their own assessments, they make their own judgments, and they're well-trained. So yes. think about that. The guy is telling you. This problem that we keep, you know, with this best practice or this new innovation or this stuff, he's saying if you if you think Finland's the answer, then the solution is actually very simple: get rid of the punitive accountability right. and uh, get um, uh, uh, wait a minute and get more equality in your society. Right? He's saying, right. and, he, and the interesting thing is, says then you don't even need to worry about what you're doing in the school because the responsible teachers are going to do it.
Right. And it's it it does it is hard, it is difficult to become an educator. I mean it mm-hmm. it is there's a process that you go through. It's not just anybody that can just go in and become right. a teacher. Yeah. And once you complete your uh, undergrad, you know, you have to go to graduate school and then you're basically right. like an internship. That's right. During that time. And, and that's, you know, it's certainly it's, true that in America where we give people certifications with bachelor's degrees right. is bad. But that the and, and we certainly uh, should do much better training teachers, which to me, I, the first. Step. I want to brag on something, okay. uh, yeah. Jim, is that we have a program uh, at Illinois State University where I'm at in Bloomington Normal. And there, because I went, basically I did some observations when I student taught back in, what, 1995. Uh, but before that, where I I watched some classrooms, and then I, basically I was just thrown into uh, student teaching. Right. They actually have to go through, I think they do, uh, it's a full year. It's, it's called a professional development school. They have a full year where the first semester they are integrated in the school. They still take some classes. They have a block of time of four weeks where they just, they're yeah. teaching. And then the second semester is full-time student teaching. But they are with my team in a middle school. That teacher just finished up this year, and she was with, with us the whole year. Yeah, and it's a, a very good way to do it. Um, you know, It's high, awesome. High Tech High, which is a charter set of charter schools that's project-based, does excellent work. They were so disappointed with the teachers the state colleges trained. They opened their own teacher training and certification. Uh, so this is a big issue, but it's not the most important issue. Is not that one. It's that we've made teaching a profession that only masochists would want to go into. Well, right? and, and it's become worse. You're going to be blamed for all of society's problem. You're going to be ordered yeah. around. Anything that happens to the kids socially, like poverty, it's you're going to remedy when we know you right. can. And you're going to get zero respect. And then you're going to get everybody, you know, in state houses wanting to cut your salary because you're well, grossly overpaid. And that's what's happening now in, in our pension would systems. Who do this? Only people who are saints or masochists become teachers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's recently, and, and Jerry, you know, it's it's they've really started coming after pensions, and yes. and I've called my legislator, uh, local legislator, and said, so I've made my payments. I've never missed a payment. I've I've done everything that I can, and you're penalizing me because you the legislature has not fund funded this properly. Right, but you notice in America the law of con we say the law of contract is sacred, and every huh. time you fail a contract with a bank or a big corporation, the courts always rule contract is sacred. Uh, right. got to get their money, but that the contract is not sacred when it's made with workers. It's not sacred when it's made with teachers. It's another or, or taxes. Part of our, or, yeah, it's another part of our uh, hypocrisy in this country. It's only sacred if you owe a richer person. But you know, if you're if you're not uh, rich, then contract. You know, the company can get rid of your pension. You know, it's, it's common that companies buy other companies and get rid of the pensions. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So it's what happened to the sacredness of sad. contract? Where, where did it go? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It, it, like I said, it's you have this especially with unionization and workers rights that's been diminishing I see something down the road where that's going to come back and um, I wouldn't say workers rise but I mean I would say that uh, things will pr- hopefully change for it the will. Better. Now, see when we get back to the normal cyclical role of history as you said 
uh, and not the sort of global disasters that are unique, like you know global warming. Um, the uh, it, the fact is, if you look at the history of this, the West, at least, uh, it is you could be construed as a history where the wealthy. Uh, always go one step too far in oppressing other people, and then there's a change, yep. right? Um, and uh, I think that's exactly right. We are in the stage where the degree of inequality is so high they have gone too far. Historically, there will be a change. But when we put that in the context of environmental degradation and economic world global economic problems, uh, then uh, we know under those conditions the poor are going to suffer much more than the rich. Right. right. So we we're getting a time at which historically we'd expect some reversal toward back towards workers and uh, and people uh, when uh, it may be every man for themselves, you know, who gets the, the lifeboat and who doesn't get on it. So it's going to be very interesting. You know, there it isn't that there isn't a silver lining here. I mean, the nice thing about the fact that if you're in the fourth quarter and down by three touchdowns is you can take risks. Right. You, you know, teachers all say, well, you know, if I really do what I want to do, I may get fired because of the test. Well, that's like, you know, if you're in a tie, you play conservatively. But if you're three touchdowns down, you know, and if you're, you know, your house is going to float away in a storm and, you you know, you're going to starve to death. Um, it's time to do a Hail Mary pass it, it, it to sit there and say, well, if I'm. If I take a risk, it'll be bad. Uh, and so I think that if we could, it, it, we will get in society uh, a lot of people saying now is the time to innovate and take risks uh, and to uh, do something new. And where is that going to come from? It's going to come from the kids and the gamers who have gotten into a producer culture, a maker culture, a modding culture. Those are the people who are going to say, well, I know how to take those risks. Yeah. And, and they're put in a situation where they're kind of locked in the walls are coming in around them they're just like i don't have to deal with this right there 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 we do the we do have some younger people who who may or may not have done well in school but they ha do have this modding framework uh and we badly need to mod the world right huh. we need, yes. to, need to put in some cheats here yes definitely Okay, so moving on to our last topic okay. and something hopefully a little enjoy enjoyable, which the conversation definitely enjoyable, Jim. It's hey, just, look at it this way. Um, if the world goes out of business soon, you won't owe college tuition. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Won't have college tuition yeah. or any bills or house payments yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, there, there's some positives yeah, there. Yeah, there always is. <laughs> so uh, GLS is coming up, yeah. uh, Games Learning Society Conference number nine Isn't that amazing? in Madison. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jerry went last year. I, I saw missed Jerry it. there, yes. I'll, I'll tell you what's amazing is that conference. That was that was. I haven't stopped raving about it, and I'm driving Zach crazy because I had, I yes. had absolute a, a fun thing. You know, it, it it amazes me. It's nine years in the May. It has done nine years, but it's always been uh, one of the conferences where there is really a diverse array of people. Yeah. And so, looking forward to that. Um, I'm. I will be there on Monday and Tuesday as part of the Playful Learning Initiative and, and meeting with that. And then the conference really gets rolling Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday. So right. 
what part? I mean, what part do you know that you're playing? Um, well, I'm. I will be on Friday. I will be giving this talk. Of, uh, well, really, a kind of rant and discussion about the tenth anniversary of the first video game book, and that'll be on the the last session on Friday. It'll be before people go over and get brats and beer. I suspect most of them will go over and get brats and beer before. But um, <laughs> it, it'll be uh, then. I'll, I'll be in there on Friday, probably okay. Thursday as well. Now, is there is there anything, because you, as we've discussed before, you know, you uh, one of your quotes that you said to us, that you do everything that you do is an obsession. Right. And you have this I'm, kind have, of a, yeah. a series of of how you learn, where you're totally into it, mm -hmm. and then you think you know everything, but then, nope, you don't, and then you learn a little bit more, and you keep going. I'm, I'm assuming that you've learned a lot since the beginning, since you've written that book, and is there anything in there that you say, eh, I don't know about this. Maybe if uh, I had to rewrite, I would change a little bit. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't, I, the thing that I was saying to you guys is that I'm the sort of person who can write, uh, and enjoy it when I'm writing about stuff I don't know a lot about, uh, <laughs> because you 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 don't have to fudge everything and everything isn't gray and washed out and uh, mitigated, um, and that means you know you're making relatively strong claims. And so what if some of them are wrong? The point of the book is to energize people to think and get excited. Yes. Uh, today, uh, I've written a lot in video games. I've been involved in a lot of stuff because you know, un you know, unbeknownst to me. Uh, the video game train really took off, right? I mean, there's a, thousands of startups. There's no government agency that isn't making games. I mean, it is a, it's proliferated beyond anything I think anybody could imagine. But, uh, and I've been involved in a lot of that, but I, I don't really want to write about games anymore because now I know too much. Right. And it, so if I was to rewrite that book, it would be a horrible bore. But I don't think there's anything in the book that's wrong in the sense that uh, they're all points that are worth thinking about. And lots of people have taken them and improved them, right? You, one of the things I just is amazing, if you look on the internet, tons of people across many in schools, and this from you know high school through college, graduate school, have taken the learning principles and applied them to games and modified them and changed them and transformed them. So in a real sense, the book has been rewritten many, many times by everyday people. And all, it's grown. Yeah, it's in one, uh, there's stuff that just, stuns me and how good people have done with it right and that's what you that's what you want out of a book it's supposed to be helping other people think not uh simply um you know uh, pontificating so i i've got to find something where i don't know anything now there you go so i, I was i was about to compare it to the u.s constitution which is <laughs> of how you said that because it's a living document yes it better it, be. people should should people be pontificating that uh, the Constitution? Con yes. No, they should see that the Constitution was a charter among people that was meant <laughs> to be developed across time by those people based on its philosophy but not its details, as and that's, the Bible. Uh, and that's the genius. That's the genius of it, and that was the genius of the Bible, is that, uh, you know, and the genius of Shakespeare is they live forever if you can read them as statements about values that are meant for you to add to. And if you read them literalistically, it's another form of stupidity. Yeah, and that, that and that's how I teach Tolkien. Good, and that's that's the beauty of Tolkien. It's oh. the beauty of Tolkien, and the proof is the pudding. How many people have modded Tolkien, written on it, done it, oh. taken it? You know, see, that's the proof. It's yeah. not that there's some 
standard of quality that we can recognize immediately. We want to see what it did to people. See, right. we had had one of the troubles with, uh, you know, where academics are really guilty is we don't do stuff to have an impact in the world. We just do it to have an impact on our careers, you know, in terms of publishing in the right journals and all. And we have a world in which most of our work has had no impact. Now, with you see kids and you see people taking things like Tolkien, you see teachers redoing Shakespeare and stuff, where the goal is to have impact. In fact, I like this phrase, games for impact, rather than games mm -hmm. for health or games for learning. We really yes. need to say to every school teacher, every academic, every person, your obligation in life is to have an impact on the world, a positive impact. And if you're not having a positive impact, you shouldn't be getting the credit. Yeah, that's, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay, so last because I was like want to end it there, but it was like I have one like what what game are you playing? Is there any particular game right now that you're playing that you are thoroughly enjoying? Uh, uh, well, I I, I uh, did like the Bioshock uh, Infinite game, uh, although I do see in it a tendency now in these big commercial games that uh, the, you want to have a game, but it can't be too difficult because it's virtually a movie and you sure want to see the movie. And I'm not sure there isn't a compromise there that is weakening games. Uh, it's a very enjoyable world, but... Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, there is in the downloadable games, there's just been there is an extraordinary move of people making wonderfully creative games, independent, uh, independent games. Thomas was alone uh, is just a great example, an absolute minimalist game that um, is good gameplay, a very interesting story. It's an emotional thing. Uh, I recommend it to anybody. So uh, there's a lot of diversity. here. I really did like Thomas was alone. I just started. Um, uh, uh, the new Metro game, uh, which has mm, yeah. a very interesting uh, world. I used to love the Stalker games the Russians made. But, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I guess while I love things like Bioshock and Assassin's Creed, um, they are not pushing the envelope of games. They are pushing the envelope, perhaps, of uh, uh, digital movies. But um, much of that envelope for games is being pushed by these independent games. Yes, I, I agree. Um and some of them have been gobbled up. Um, mm -hmm. I, I grabbed on to Bastion a while back. Wonderful game. And and Warner Brothers, I think I think it was Warner Brothers gobbled, you know, yeah. them up. But yes, it started out as an independent game. I have a friend that's actually making. Um, uh, it's called the Repopulation, huh. and he's he's been working on it for several years now. Great. And it's it's in. Uh, I think it's. I still think it's like an alpha or beta, but uh, it's it's. He's, you know, of course, they want to make money on the, in the long run, but he does it for the love of it. He does I mean, it for it's, the love of it. Yeah, I mean, it's like Fez, uh, you know, that was made over years. Yes. The guy put his heart and soul into it. And, you know, the thing about Fez or the Unfinished Swan, those type of games, you you can have an opinion whether they're good or bad, but you'll say, I have never played this before. When you played yeah. the fifth Assassin's Creed or whatever it's yeah, on, you said, I played. Cool story. Yeah, I played this before. But, you know, those games like Fez, you said, I've never. And I just admire the creativity of people like that who can open up a whole different type yep. of game. Uh, it's very exciting, and uh, it's it's probably where the future is. Um, I think one half of games will meld into movies. Uh, I yeah. think we're going to make, you know, I think the Living Dead series uh, were great digital stories. I think we'll do digital storytelling better. But I think for those of us interested in game mechanics and game play, uh, we're going to see it in things like Thomas Was Alone or Braid or 
yes. uh, those type of games. Now, do you, have you uh, have you messed around with Minecraft? I have. You know, uh, my wife does games and uh, family. She works with. Uh, she runs things where uh, parents come and play with their kids in the schools. They love it. The kids are just thrilled to be able to play with their parent. And the thing that I've really found interesting, I just watch, I'm not part of it, is that they, have, they can play other games like The Sims or Civilization. The parents just don't get Minecraft. Every kid wants to play Minecraft, and the parents says, I don't get it at all. They, The parents love Civilization. They love The Sims. But they say to the kid, I don't get this. I don't get why this is fun. And then the kid has to give them a whole theory of why it's fun. Which is cool. Yeah, which is which pretty it, cool. You know, part yeah. of the, you know, I'm I was uh, on a board of a startup that's making a, an enhanced uh, Minecraft, and it dawned on me one day. Um, uh, well, you know, why why did Minecraft, which actually is an eight bit game, it doesn't look that good. Why was it so successful? <laughs> yes. And if you Google why was it successful, lots of people have given theories. And a couple of them are like this. One thing is pe the kids like the 8-bit graphics. For one yeah. thing, it, there can't be any complaints about the graphics. They suck. <laughs> so get off. Get over it, right? <laughs> no, the better that you make them, the more complaints you get, right? Right. Uh, the other thing is that it was kind of an alpha so long that people got to contribute. And they saw it almost as the guy giving the finger to the industry, saying this is not a big entertainment game. Right. Going to do this, and so when it came out, people saw it almost as a even the little kids see it as a kind of political statement. This is something I can own. This is not yeah. something. So there's a whole set of conditions that have made Minecraft an absolute phenomena, um, and I love the fact that you you've got this thing that only the kid gets, um, and it, because the parent sees it as well. That's just a simple nothing game, and the kid is saying, "Wow, this is this is as complicated or more than Civilization." You yeah. don't get it. See, but it's game mechanics. It's I tell you, I, I guess I still must be a kid. Yeah. Because I enjoy building with my, you know, students or 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 building with my my kids. Sure. And I love the mods, the modification. You know, they came up with I put on I put on a a, a board, a Minecraft, yeah. you know, and Google groups or whatever. Hey, can you how can you keep kids out? They should have a land game mm -hmm. and you got kids that are coming in because we have for whatever reason, our network is set up within our school district where other kids can join in because there's no way to block in and out. Uh -huh. uh, so they have kids coming in and basically destroying them, uh, destroying creations that these other kids are building. And so after a while, the kids put their own things together and they had a, right. a, a method to keep those kids from destroying. See, that's the solution. Rather than banning kids' access to stuff or banning their access to people because somebody might be a stalker, say to the kids, solve the problem. Your kids yeah. solved the problem, and they yep. didn't solve it by banning everything. Nope. Nope, that, and they that, and they figured it intelligence. out. You see, that's intelligence. That was an accident in school, but it's an that was intelligence. They, hey, isn't that how it usually happens? Yes, absolutely. They used collective intelligence, collaboration, yep. faced a problem, and solved it in a way that the schools don't. And if we let kids do that more, especially if they can collaborate with adults, uh, we can solve our problems. Yeah, and they've done this with... We've had an interesting uh, year with one-to-one -one in the laptops we're getting rid of. Mm -hmm. There were some problems with it. And there was a problem with the screen. Um, you know how it does the uh, – it dumbs down the, the resolution because yeah. Windows feels that it's, you know, the screen enhancements. It dumbs it down thinking that, hey, there's a problem with the computer. Yeah. And the, the tech department, everybody's looking at it. They're trying to figure it out. 
Well, the kids, they had to go through like five steps, but they figured out how to bypass this. Yeah. Uh, the, the system's locked down, but they figured out a way around it. See. And then they started sharing with each other and, you know, hey, talk to such and such. Right. They know how to do it. You know, and now everybody knows how to do it. You are right on a very fundamental principle here because we always say, well, the problem with schools is teachers don't know enough. But you see, the glory here is that you didn't need to know the solution. They did. You're yeah. there to mentor them. You're, it's, it's so people yeah. say, well, you know, Zach wasn't smart. And he doesn't know enough about technology to do it. Well, this was a golden opportunity for your kids yeah. that you didn't know how to do it because yeah. then they do it. And that's what, you know, modern adults, modern teachers have to be in collective intelligence with young people. Yeah. This is a wonderful opportunity for them to teach. Yes, Yes. And even though I'm a geek about many things, mm-hmm. I didn't have time to go through that. They were looking for solutions and everything. And, but I also leave it open-ended for them to try new things. But you and we have a lot of teachers that are scared. Had you claimed to be an expert in it. You would have, What's that? If you had said, I'm an expert, I'll tell you how to do it, you would have killed their learning opportunity. Yes, exactly. But we have teachers that are scared, and understandably so. You know, they're, It's something new. But maybe if they take that mentality of, hey, you know what? I've got good kids in here. I'm going to have them help me out, right. and we can figure this out together. I've often wondered. Is, are, we always say that te- these teachers are afraid of technology, but I think they're afraid of the children. They're afraid of children <laughs> yeah. being smart. They're afraid yes. of having to collaborate genuinely with them. Yep. That should be a glorious thing to do, but I think that's what they're afraid of. Yep, but I think we've it's been turning within our school, which yeah. has been good. Yeah. Sounds good. It's been good. Well, I think that's about it. That's okay. a wonderful conversation. Thanks for having uh, me. Uh, yep. Thank congratulations you. Congratulations on your 100th uh, podcast. That's yeah. Oh, thank season. you. Crazy. And I expect to be there when you do the second 100th. I uh, we want you there. Okay. So great. Thank you for listening to this week's Ed Gamer podcast. Please follow us on edreach.us and also follow all the great podcasts and blog posts on the EdReach network. Have a great week. Jerry? I hope my bulls survive week the bulls they're not looking good it's a close game not looking good oh hey and also uh everybody out there listen to stitcher they've been one of our partners here as of as of late and then uh what is your edu win uh is hooking up with pbs and make sure you check that out too take care